Welcome to our special monthly episode of the Jesus Calling Podcast. This month, we're featuring multiple guests speaking to the topic, Relationships That Last. The relationships God has given us in this life bring us joy, connection, and safety. Whether it be a spouse, our family, our friends, or even a beloved pet, much like our relationship with God, the bonds we foster with others carry us through good days and tough times. Through tragedy and loss, our treasured relationships leave an imprint on our heart that will last beyond the time we have together here on Earth. We'll start with Friends, actor and Growing Pains star Jeremy Miller and Dr. Brandon Lane Phillips. My name is Jeremy Miller. I'm a uh, former child star. Most people remember me from being the character of Little Ben on Growing Pains. I started acting when I was about five years old and born and raised in this crazy uh, Hollywood town and lifestyle. Um, had an incredible experience on the show. I'm also a professional chef now, and I also work in recovery as well, since I've been in recovery for six years. Actually, more, I've been in recovery longer than that. Um, let me see, 2011, so almost eight years now. My name is Brandon Phillips. I am a former WISH kid who was born with a congenital heart defect, who grew up to become a pediatric cardiologist, and I now care for kids who are also born with heart defects. On the day that I met Brandon, I didn't have much information as to what he was going through, what his condition was like. They didn't really give us those details when Wish Kids came to the set. So on the day we met, it was really for me just about making sure this kid had the best day he could. Jeremy and I hung out. We had a great time. We had dinner with the cast together. We took a bicycle tour of the studio lot. Then I got to watch a taping of the show. Jeremy and I kept in touch initially after my wish. We would write letters back and forth to each other like pen pals. And we did that for a couple of years until Growing Pains went off the air. Then we kind of lost contact with each other throughout much of high school um, and college. We didn't reconnect until I was in medical school. One day, I happened to be in New Orleans to do some work with Starlight Children's Foundation. Um, that was the organization that had granted my wish years ago. And I just called and said, hey, I'm stopping by to see you. I'll be there in five minutes. And I got there and Jeremy was drunk when I, when I arrived. And he started hugging me and telling me how much he loved me. And that quickly turned into him crying and telling me what all he had gone through I honestly can't say why I chose to open up to Brandon at that moment. I can only assume that his connection to my childhood and that time was my prompting, I guess, for opening up to him. Soon after Brandon had come by, actually, I had already been aware of how much of a problem there was. The social aspect was what really got me started with the drinking regularly. But I think what really pushed me over the edge was around 21 years old, I had a lot of my childhood trauma really come rushing back. I don't know if it was all really suppressed or what, but I had a lot of the experiences with my stepfather really come rushing to the forefront. And it was some really nasty stuff that I was not prepared to deal with. I did not have the tools and like, I just wanted 
the pain to go away. I couldn't deal with it, and numb was better than feeling. Even though I knew it was killing me, even though I knew it was horrible, it was a better option in my mind than having to actually confront what had happened. Brandon's call was the deciding thing. Brandon calling and reaching out made all the difference in the world. So I, I can honestly say that Brandon saved my life. Family is such an important part of my life. And to have another brother, someone that I can depend on, someone I can count on, someone who's there for me, and just someone to share this journey with. Brandon's faith and his his story, the hope that his life has been and is every single day is just an inspiration to me. I enjoy reading the daily devotionals and just spending quiet time with God is just an opportunity to thank him for all that he's given me and an opportunity to pray that I'm a good steward of the gifts and talents that he has given me to be able to bless others. I actually first heard about the book Jesus Calling when we were starting to do PR for our book. For me, the way that each day's passage speaks to you in different devotionals is really kind of how God's speaking to you to me. There's so many times where I wake up and whatever I'm dealing with at that time seems to be what's being addressed in what I'm reading that morning. And for me, that's just God's guidance. God's plan, good, bad, or indifferent, as it's affecting our life at that moment, is exactly how he meant it to be. So wherever we are, whatever we're dealing with right now at this moment is exactly perfect. No matter how uncomfortable, no matter how painful, it's right where we're supposed to be at this moment for whatever reason. Being able to utilize all the hurts, all the problems, all the horrors that I went through in my addiction, and even growing up, to help others. Being open with that, even just in the interviews that we do, my social media messages blow up afterwards. I've had three moms on Instagram right now that I'm in regular conversation with, and two of their sons have actually made it into recovery and hit their first year just about three weeks ago. These are not people that I know. These are nobody that I've ever, this is just me being open with my story. And that has been able to hopefully save a couple people's lives. The fact that God gives us that opportunity to take that pain and those struggles and use them for something good and give them a purpose is such a blessing. And in my mind, it makes all of it worth it. Authors and founders of Ransomed Heart Ministries, John and Stacy Eldridge. One of our heart's deepest passions is to help people come into an intimate relationship with Jesus, with their Father God and with the Holy Spirit. And it's really been remarkable to us over the years, people who come to our conferences, come to our retreats, people who've been raised in the church or have spent many, many years in a faith context who don't have a personal life with God. As a therapist over the years, I've counseled a lot of people who have been very frustrated with their 
Christian experience because they tried. They checked all the boxes. They went to Sunday school. They showed up for the potlucks. They served on the committees, right? They, they volunteered for everything they could volunteer for, and yet they didn't, they didn't find that deeper life with God they were looking for. And, and so let's reframe that for a moment. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Mm -hmm. I call you my friends, right? So think about how you would live your life with a friend. It's heart to heart. Yeah. It's life to life. It's mm -hmm. full of honesty. Right. Right? And not yeah. having to fake it and pretend. It's not about getting your act together. It's about a shared life experience in and through the day-to-days, in parenting. Yes. At work, right? In the good times and in the hard times. We want to reframe life with Jesus as something that's actually not primarily lived in religious boxes. But it's something that's lived throughout your entire life experience as more and more of your heart becomes more and more connected to his heart, right? right? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes along our Christian journey, we can get confused about Christianity and what it's all about. So the invitation of Christianity is not to be a moral person. Jesus didn't move heaven and earth so that we would be good boys and girls or that we would obey him. The goal of Christianity is restoration. That's why Jesus came, to give us back our hearts and then to release us to be the men and women that he created us to be. So restoration is really the goal. There is a movement in, in the world today that is seeking healing without God. And that actually is super troubling to us. We don't think it's possible. And we don't think that God wants the world to operate without him. He, right. he created us for intimacy, he created us for relationship, and we, he created us to need him. I think bottom line, there is no real restoration without union with Jesus Christ. Deep integrated union of our life to his vine and branch is the way he yes, described right. it, right? There is a message that is prevalent in our world today. In fact, I just on Facebook saw this meme and it said, you are enough. And I just wanted to say, no, you're not. Not without God. Not without God. None of us are enough. No, we're not on our own with Jesus or the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But the Holy Spirit is given to us as our counselor and our guide. And apart from him, we don't have one. So there is a push, and it's been around for a long time, with, with self-help books, with having a better life, and there is, there is some healing, there's some wisdom. I mean, truth is truth. But you're not gonna get the life and the healing that you need and that right. you're meant to live without an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. In Him, right. we're enough. Yep. Because we're meant to live in union with Him, the life of Christ within us pouring out. Then we have life. Yeah. I also think it's really important to note that in order to pursue healing with Christ, you have to be honest about your life. There can be a pressure, particularly in Christianity, that we're supposed to be happy all the time, we're supposed to be joyful all the time, put a happy face on it, but that's not actually what joy means. We can't have healing in a true relationship with Christ if we're living in denial, if we're ignoring what's really going on in our lives. So the invitation is as well as to be honest with him and to live an authentic life with him. Sometimes we don't want to go there. We don't want to cry because we think we'll never stop crying. That's, that's not the truth. 
we have a friend who understands and wants to walk alongside of us on the journey of restoration. Michael and Zena Gooden from the Old Friends Dog Sanctuary. Well, we were volunteering with Middle Tennessee Golden Retriever Rescue starting in, I think, 2010, mm -hmm. uh, after we adopted Gracie, our Golden Retriever, who we still have. Uh, we started volunteering with them and noticed that a lot of the senior dogs were never getting adopted. They were moving between foster homes and vets' offices and kennels and never really getting to settle down during their senior years. And in late 2011, early 2012, we, were, we started thinking about it and realized that if senior golden retrievers weren't getting adopted, there were a lot of dogs who were not even making it out of the shelters. So at, in early 2012, we started coming up with the idea of Old Friends Senior Dog Sanctuary. The name Old Friends came from the Simon and Garfunkel song, Old Friends. We incorporated as a nonprofit corporation in the state of Tennessee. And in that summer, we got our 501c3 nonprofit. Lucy Liu came from a terribly neglectful situation. She was very, very underweight. She was 35 pounds, I guess, when she was picked up by the rescue. She was just in horrible shape. They didn't really expect her to survive, but she did. And she moved to our house and she hit the ground running and smiling and never looked back. And because of Lucy Lou's attitude, we realized that the senior dogs, no matter what terrible background they came from, could appreciate the rest of their life and leave the past behind them and have a good life. And then Leo, Leo was a special guy. We got a call from a guy that owned a hairdresser and he uh, said, we have this dog in our back alley. We can't bring ourselves to have him go to the shelter. So uh, would you be interested in picking him up? And we said, well, uh, we'll be right down. So we pulled up in back of the strip mall and there he was. We actually think he might've been hit by a car at one point. And so we got him all fixed up, groomed up and vetted up. And he lived with us for six years. He was a great guy. When you see an older dog, he's thinking that just that moment, he's getting to play right now and that's all he cares about. Or he gets to eat right now and that's all he cares about. Or he gets to snuggle in for the night and watch some TV. So it's, it's, it's really a joy to see that. How to trust. It's amazing how a dog who's been treated terribly or has had a bad past can quickly learn to trust the people who he's around. We have a lot of dogs, again, just like Lucy Liu, who come from terrible backgrounds, but they're willing to give people another chance. It is amazing to see that there is joy to be found without spending big amounts of money and getting fancy things. There's just a lot of joy in, in just being there and the things that are around us. They just want to know where you are, and they want to be around you, and they want to love you. Foster dad, Peter Mutabatsi. 
I come from Uganda in a small little village called Kabale, you know, at the border of Uganda, Rwanda, and uh, Congo. I grew up poor, poor as in every way you could think about. You know, sometimes it's really difficult to explain that to, to an American, you know, but think about that you grew up and you never been told to hope, you know? Then you never told, uh, hey, there's a future for you. You know, think about this way. You know, if a mom cannot feed you for a day, how can she tell you there's a future for you? So for me, you know, if you told me to dream, you know, today was bad enough that I didn't really want to think about tomorrow. You know, I've never been 20 miles away. I ran away and, you know, ended up in Kampala. And of course, you end up in a city you've never been 500 miles away. You don't know anyone. You don't speak the language, you know. So my only option was to, to be a street kid. So from there, I became a street boy from the age of 10, 11 to uh, 15, 16. As street kids, we would steal food or we would really help people. It was easier to steal while you're helping than just be idle. So I helped a family and this family stopped and wanted to know what my name was. So for four years, I had lived on the streets. No one had ever at one point asked me what my name was. But this stranger said, hey, what's your name? I was like, wait, you want to know my name? You know, but before I could steal food, he gave me something to eat. And so he left. Two weeks later, I saw him again. Three weeks, I saw him. You know, so I noticed that he came often. But every time he came, he would give me something to eat. And so he did that for a year and a half. So after a year and a half, he said, hey, Peter, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you go to school? And I said, wait me go to school you know think about this like when you're a street kid like there's really nothing to think about there's nothing to hope for there's nothing to in some way to work towards you know you just live as i said hour by hour so for him to mention school it was me like saying uh, hey you know would you like to go to the moon it's a world that i don't really dream about that's how i felt being told to go to school it was a world out there that i did not understand but somehow, because he insisted, I think I trusted him to, to say, you know what, I trust this guy, I'm going to go. Not because I wanted to be anybody, but for the first time, someone had seen me as a human being. And he saw me at my lowest, but at the same time, he also saw a potential that I did see in myself. You mean I, I have a potential? You mean I can be somebody, you know? Uh, and that's really what changed my life forever. So after going to school for six months, he said, you know what, now I would want you to come to my family. You know, I think he was afraid to bring a street kid in his home. So he's like, you know, he stayed at school for six months. I think it's time to bring him be part of our family. So once I moved in uh, to live with them during, you know, off school days, I really began to see a family. I had never seen a family that sits and eats together. I had never seen a dad that talks straight to their kids and laugh. You know, I had never seen a dad and a mom who really inspire their kids to dream and be whoever they wanted to be. So for this man, you know, to somehow begin using words like, hey, Peter, you're special. And I remember he did it one time. He, you know, he wanted me to sit in the car, but I, I didn't feel I was good enough to sit in front. So I wanted to sit in the back and he said, Peter, no, you matter and you're special to us. That's why you should sit in front. And to this day, I remember those words. Like he would tell me, Peter, you belong to us. Peter, you're chosen. Peter, you're hard. Peter, you're not alone. Peter, you're brave for what you went through. And my best thing, he would say, Peter, you're a gift to our family because you've changed our lives and, and that meant everything for me.
So, you know, the family that took me in, they use just calling every Thursday, every week to do their devotion. So we always had devotion Thursdays. And that's what really began to help me begin to dream in some way because I saw something that I wanted to to be. I saw a dad that I wanted to be. I saw brothers and sisters that loved me as who I am, that I really wanted to be a brother to them. And that helped me to begin dreaming, but also helped me to be who I wanted to be because that's what they saw in me. Later, I found out that he was the head of Compassion International Uganda. So in some way, I was a sponsored kid through him, you know. But here's another thing that he introduced me to, faith, you know, because he never told me what to do. He just did what he did, and I followed. He never told me about Christ. He never told me to read the Bible. He never said that. But how he lived his life is what intrigued me to want to know. So the, the kindness of one really took me to places I never, never dreamt in a million years that I would be, you know. I've traveled to 100 countries. I, I've done amazing things that, you know, none of anyone in my village will ever do. So for me, you know, once I got an opportunity to come to the United States, I think I really wanted to be a voice for the kids, that I wanted to advocate for kids, that I wanted to be that voice. I started working for Compassion International for 11 years, you know, being the advocate and, and really uh, helping people sponsor. I know what it means to grow poor and having no resources to, to dream about. But it's amazing the small things we can do, how they impact life for someone. Mark Miller of the music group Sawyer Brown and his daughter Madison. Being a, a, a Christian man and a Christian family, my, my wife as well, you know, when we decided to have kids, I mean, I was, you know, on tour full time, probably doing 250 dates a year. Um, and I wanted the family out with me, you know. Uh, even though, you know, you know, quote unquote, you're a rock star, I didn't buy into the rock star lifestyle. You know, you know, I, I bought into that was, that's what I did for a living, that was my business. But I still believed in the family and in my faith. And so they were out with me, I had, we had our own bus and um, they would go out, you know, all the time. And, you know, there was always that family time. And then we would pull in backstage with the bus and dad would get out and do his show. And most of the time they would not even come off the bus. They were watching TV or making dinner or whatever. But, um, and, and I think they grew up, hopefully that's just what dad did for a living. It wasn't any different than, a, you know, kids' dads who were uh, firemen or whatever. It's just that's how we got to work in the bus, and Dad went to work, and he was back on the bus two hours later. And I just never put it together that it was abnormal until I actually was, like, in school with other kids and realized, what do you mean you don't have a tour bus? How do you get to the places? And then this was really weird, too. What do you mean your dad is, like, home every single day? Like, I think that was a very bizarre, because I was like, well, your dad works and working means he goes, <laughs> he goes away <laughs> and comes back. And now I found out that there are these things called nine to fives. <laughs> but it was nice. I think that was the way that you guys wanted it, that I 
I found out because it was just so normal to us that that was actually abnormal. But then if you looked at like the nuts and bolts of a family unit and and all of that kind of stuff, my our life was way normal. Yeah, that was a conscious effort is to, to make it as normal as possible. And um, and we were we were really strict on the kids. I mean, we were, you know, I had been around a lot of the celebrities kids and, and I thought, you know what, I don't ever want them to grow up and think that they're entitled. You know, I want them to grow up the, the, the way that I did to know that, you know, if if you're willing to work, you can achieve anything you want to, uh, but you have to work to get it. There is not a lot of me time on a bus, um, which I think has contributed to our family being far too close. That's probably our problem. We're not, we're not too distant, we're too close together because yeah, there's only what, 45 feet yeah. that you can go to escape someone. And I think you had to, I mean, you had to learn to get along in a very confined space for a very extended period of time. But I think a lot of, it was really good because you couldn't escape. So you had to learn to deal with each other and the standard for what that behavior was going to be was pretty high. Um, you know, we were always taught like one of the greatest verses in the Bible was love your sibling. Yeah. And that was reiterated many a time on the bus. I saw Sarah Young's Jesus Calling when I was in high school at a summer camp out in Colorado. And I remember someone, I think it was one of the, the older camp counselors had this book and was just telling us it was such a great way to have a, like a daily devotion that we could all do really simply every day. They had the Bible verses pulled for you. It was really advocated for us, a really practical way for high schoolers to be daily in the word. And it was broken down in a way that was, you know, God speaking to you, which I think really appealed to me personally at the time in high school. I was really looking for that type of, of relationship with God then. And so I, I can't remember if I was gifted the book or if I went out and bought it for myself. But then I remember my mom looking at it and being like, this is perfect for your dad. There aren't a lot of words because he famously just- My attention span is about that long. <laughs> so, so it was- This is perfect for me. And um, so It really is a, a great inspiration for me to be able to read this because I really have a short attention span. So- so this is like one page I can I can really dial in and read it. And so if there are other guys out there like that, this is the book. And we all still read it all yeah. the time. And my mother has decided to integrate Jesus Calling and technology together by these lovely family group texts where all it will so be. Take a picture <laughs> the of the picture page with some highlighted portions. Yeah, and send it. And, you know, it's just like, you know, when you're in in church or whatever and you hear the sermon the, the pastor say something and you're thinking well so-and-so needs to hear that when in reality you're supposed to be hearing it too well when my wife reads this she like reads stuff that i need she thinks <laughs> i need to know and my brother or my, my son needs to or know me. her brother or her and so sometimes <clears throat> she will not so subtly let us know that Jesus calling today really pertains to you and what's going on in your life. And you could use some of that today. And, and I hope she doesn't see this, but she's usually right. We don't tell her that. So it's, it's kind of become not only a great way for all of us to, to have a, a good daily devotional, but at the same time, you know, a great way to stay together as family.
the president of Homeward, Dr. Jim Burns. The bottom line in parenting, and I've said this, if they could be a five-year-old or if they're an adult, is not that you raise obedient children, but that you raise responsible adults. I think sometimes we as parents haven't negotiated boundaries and expressed our expectations. And so in many ways, one of the key questions is, are we enabling our adult child to stay under our wing? Are we helping them launch? I think what happens is when kids stray, whether it be lifestyle choice or whether it be faith issues, you know, I think what we do is we still stand by them and we have to understand where they're coming from. And I actually believe that our model is Jesus. I think Jesus constantly, he had some disagreements with people, no doubt. He said it, he was verbal about it, but then he still showed love to people that within his generation, you know, tax collectors shouldn't have been at the party. Uh, the prostitute shouldn't have been, you know, wiping her tears on his feet because that was not happening with the other rabbis. I'll just guarantee as you know. But what Jesus did was he he didn't tend to agree with how they live their life, but he did show show love and acceptance. And guess what happened? That's what turned them around. So that's tough love. And it's so hard. Oh my gosh. It's so hard to let your kids crash or let your kids make these poor choices. But, you know, I, I've never seen nagging work. I think we misunderstand tough love. Tough love does not mean that you quit talking to your kids, that you ignore your kids or that you shun them because they've made poor choices. Tough love says that you surround them with love. And while you surround them with, with love, you don't bail them out. And, you know, you don't dump your anger and frustration on them. Tough love isn't shunning and neglecting them you know, as if, oh, now that my parents are neglecting me, when I am in trouble, I'm going to come right back to them and get, you know, beat up again. That isn't going to work. So, you know, one of our daughters has not been as involved in the faith as we would like her to be. And yet, you know, she respects us greatly and she goes to church with us when she comes uh, to town and all that kind of stuff. But what we have found is, you know, periodically we can send her a cool thing or we can send her a, in fact, you know, I bought her Jesus Calling uh, a couple of years ago and just said, this is something that I read every day and I hope this might be meaningful. Every once in a while, she's not an everydayer like I am, but every once in a while she'll, um, you know, she'll say, hey, that was a, did you read, you know, August 10th because that was really meaningful today. And, and I'm always surprised because I don't see her flexing that muscle, but she'll talk about it and I'll think, well, how amazing that, and she's not doing it to try to impress me. She's doing it because she really had something that was meaningful. I tell people that I have coffee with a woman named Sarah Young every morning and they kind of look at me like, what are you, some kind of weirdo? But I truly do. And in fact, if there are, are mornings where I miss it, I, I pick it back up. And, um, and for me, the themes of, and everybody's going to have a different theme, but the themes of thankfulness, gratitude, trust are the themes that jump out at me. It's very important to me. The, the words are important. And then I read it on my iPad because I'm too lazy to look up the scripture. And on my, you know, ebook version, it has the scripture, you know, with it. And I read that scripture and then I journal and I write many of those scriptures down. And I feel like Jesus is speaking to me. And I actually honestly forget that it was written by this incredible woman who I've never met or know anything about. But I'm always amazed how many Christian leaders lean on that as well. I used to have a radio broadcast and I can remember interviewing Kay Warren and we got, you know, we got talking about, you know, Jesus calling and she's going, oh my gosh, that's just saved me from, you know, so many things that, um, 
you know, I had in my head, and it's remarkable. Rapper Rev Run from Run DMC and his wife, Justine. The power of commitment has kept us together because, you know, if you have two to come together and commit to a common goal, I've read a, a quote that said, love is not so much looking into each other's eyes, but it's looking in the same direction. So I love that quote because you're looking into each other's eyes is beautiful, but do you have this same mindset? Mm-hmm. How can two walk together lest they agree? Because if somebody else is walking this way and you're walking this way, you come further apart. Yeah. But if yeah. you're both walking together, according to the Bible, it can work. Yeah, and you know, some people see a lot of red flags before they get married, but they go let them the, go and say maybe they'll change once we get married. It. It's not true. Like if you hate football and your mate loves football. And you don't want to go to any games. You don't want to host his friends eating popcorn right. in your living room. Why and, would you marry that? That's an argue argument the right there. there. You know, little things like that can be become can become very big yeah. in your marriage. And so that's not the person for you because it doesn't change. It gets worse if you get married. Especially if it really aggravates you what they like. Right, right. But little things like that can become very big once you get married. So, but him and I, we really like the same things. Yep. Spending and dedicating time with God leads to a better hearing ear. People always want to know, how can I hear God? How do I know how God speaks? How do I know what God wants? When you spend time with Him constantly and consistently, the next thing you know, you're able to know what His will is. Besides for the Word, you know what His will is from the Word, but you can know the little nuances of the day of what God is putting in your heart to make the left, make a right. Don't do this, don't do that. The, the, the special communication. I would have to say ditto to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. It's true. I have my um, notes here from the book, Jesus Calling. Let me read to you a passage from them, from this wonderful book. I love you regardless of how well you are performing. Sometimes you feel uneasy, wondering if you are doing enough to be worthy of my love. No matter how, exemplary your behavior, the answer to that question will always be no. Your performance and my love are totally different issues, which you need to sort out. I love you with an everlasting love that flows out from eternity without limits or conditions. I have clothed you in my robe of righteousness, and this is an eternal transaction. Nothing or no one can reverse it. Therefore, your accomplishment as a Christian has no bearing on my love for you. Even your ability to assess how well you are doing on any given day is flawed. Your limited human perspective and the condition of your body with its mercurial variations distort your evaluations. Bring your performance anxiety to me and receive in its place my unfailing love. Try to stay conscious of my loving presence with you and all that you do, and I will direct your steps. Mm. Well, it lets me know that grace is available and that I don't need to work and work and work in order to please God. It makes me feel like I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and that as long as I am here on this earth, I'm loved and protected and that I don't have any big thing that I have to prove to God to be accepted. That's good. And for me, 
it helped me see that when I have anxiety trying to go to sleep and thinking of this and worrying, that he's there and I need to give it to him and he'll take that away. So I would say the number one advice I would give to couples, it's about give and take. She's always waiting to hear me say, guess what just happened? So there's always a little mystery. There's a little excitement. There's a little thing I'm putting together, whether it's we're getting ready to go away to Los Angeles next week. And I'm always trying to make sure that she's excited about what I'm doing in my life. It's not like I'm going to Los Angeles to do this work that's kind of fun. I'm just going to say, well, you, you are, you'll stay home. I'm going to, it's a business trip. I'm like, no, I, you know, it's going to be business and pleasure. I'd like to, to join me on this, this particular job that I'm going to be doing because we'll have some days off and it'll be fun for the whole family. Yeah. I would say the number one way to um, keep a relationship going is to keep sparks flying, keep little gifts happen and keep little fun times happen and keep the uh, the mystery. That's the only way it would work. It can't be selfishness. It has, you have to both be selfless and it takes two. Thank you for listening to this special monthly series as part of the Jesus Calling podcast. Be sure and follow the Jesus Calling podcast so you can hear the full stories from each of these guests and also make sure you get these special bonus episodes each month. For more information on Jesus Calling and Sarah Young, please visit JesusCalling.com or visit us on our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.